Hello and welcome to episode number 88 of the Agro-Innovations Podcast. All things related and debated in agriculture, I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This episode of the Agro-Innovations Podcast has been released onto our website, agroinnovations.com slash podcast on Monday, April 26th, 2010. Today we are joined by Douglas Hecker and Martha Skinner of the Seed Container Housing Project of Clemson University. Douglas and Martha are professors of architecture and the lead coordinators for the SEED project, an initiative to use shipping containers as a mechanism for community and economic development, especially in cases of disaster. Douglas Hecker, Martha Skinner, welcome to the Agro-Innovations Podcast. Hi. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for inviting us. Well, why don't you start by telling us about the origins of the SEED project? Um, the, the, the seed project started about a little over a year ago and it started with a, basically a study to, uh, understand how to reuse shipping containers in the Caribbean region, um, uh, working with an industry partner. So basically the question was put to us, um, that there were, they generally tend to run, uh, surpluses in that part of the world. And they were looking for better, more effective ways to uh, deal with those surpluses. So uh, we proposed an idea of um, uh, introducing the containers into the uh, housing stock, if you will, in, in that region. Uh, I guess I'll just add that we were looking at this kind of uh, big scale of, of cycles, uh, the cycles of the hurricanes that uh, affect the Caribbean region and the cycle of surplus of containers at the various ports. And so we were coming up with um, uh, both the design of the container itself um, as a, a new home uh, with also its garden and emergency garden and so on, but also we were looking at the larger system, at the system of understanding um, the amount of surplus, the locations, uh, and the needs, and uh, setting uh, something in place so that there's a constant um, um, flow of um, of these emergency kits being uh, set in, into place and become homes that begin as temporary homes but take root and become permanent homes uh, over time for these communities. Okay, now what has the project achieved to date? On the Clemson campus, uh, we're working on a, we've been doing full-scale prototyping. We're not really making a um, demonstration home yet, but we've we've tested a number of different uh, ideas at full scale in terms of how to modify the container and to connect it to um, some ideas about um, self-sustaining, you know, self-sustenance in terms of agriculture. Uh, we've and so we've been focusing focusing on the use of um, advanced technologies that then are implemented and and kind of catalyze the container so that they're um, suitable for dwelling. We've been developing uh, relationships with people who are interested in being part of this team, um, including logistics people, um, engineers. Um, people uh, working on uh, edible garden ideas, and um, and hopefully your your um, your group, uh, agricultural innovations. Um, 
and uh, we're competing for a, a, a grant uh, in Washington next in a couple of weeks uh, for we'll more be, funding for the project. We'll be part of the uh, EPA uh, Sustainable Design Expo in Washington, uh, April twenty third and twenty fourth, to show you know some of the developments uh, thus far. There's also some um, academic collaborations that we've developed uh, with uh, originally with Tri-County Tech, a local school here uh, that worked on the, of course, on the kind of uh, technical aspects of cutting the container. Uh, and then most recently we were contacted by a group at Berkeley University of Engineering students that we've been uh, mentoring on, on, on things uh, for applications for Haiti that they're looking into with this with this work, um, so I don't know. I think I mean that's that's where we are on some things and just um, moving along to really try to implement this to to make a difference um, to do a, a, our little part in in this. I think um, the idea with this project is that um, most recently we developed this. Um, this group called 10 to the 10 power or powers of 10. And it's the idea of thinking about uh, the effect, the, the um, exponential effect of, of something like this that is needed in situations such as the situation in Haiti when there's, where there's over a million people homeless. And uh, our concern is how to do this uh, in a way that it's not only dealing with the emergency, but it's also sensitive to the cultural, sensitive to the needs and to the history of the place, and that it's something that has effects over a long time in these communities. You mentioned already that shipping containers in some areas, there's a surplus, but I imagine there's a lot of other reasons why shipping containers are a good medium for this type of um, relief effort and housing effort. Can you talk about what it is about the shipping containers that makes them a good vehicle for this? Mm -hmm. uh, the shipping containers, well, what, I'll start with something that distinguishes, I think, our approach, which is to the idea is not to make prefab housing and send it uh, to Haiti or the Caribbean, but to use uh, surpluses that are already in these countries, right? So, uh, and to identify the flow of the containers into the countries and understand, you know, the 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 pattern there, but the shipping container itself is incredibly strong, as many people know. But uh, but generally speaking, uh, it's a rigid body construction, which makes it uh, ideal for, uh, um, you know, an ideal starting point for uh, construction in terms of uh, resistance to hurricanes, but also earthquakes. Um, uh, they're incredibly strong. They're designed. They exceed the structural code of any country in the world. Um, they are designed to be stacked eight high, uh, full of you know, with each container um, uh, filled with sixty-eight thousand uh, pounds of goods. So they can uh, uh, they can adequately uh, be converted, you know, to dwelling and meet and exceed the structural code. They uh, and then with very simple modifications, uh, our approach is the ethos of our approach is to, with simple modifications, get them the maximum adaptability and benefit for the, uh, in terms of a home for the minimum amount of cutting and modifying. Um, so they really do make a robust, uh, you know, structure. You know, they're both structure and enclosure. 
Uh, and we're and again, we're focused on adding elements that make them suitable for dwelling. Um, the the other interesting thing I think that Doug implied is that it's a universal uh, material. Uh, it's transported in various um, through various transportation systems worldwide, uh, and it's a readily available material uh, in surplus all over the world. And one thing that we've been that's been curious um, since um, we've received um, a little bit of um, attention on the project recently uh, is that there's so many engineers that are uh, so interested in this idea because they, uh, from the engineering point of view, from the structural point of view, uh, is such a um, such an amazing material. Um, I don't know. Um, the the other yeah. just some other things that make them you know. Um, you know, great building, you know, material, right? I mean, that's, I think the way a building module really is that, I mean, you know, because of the construction, they're, they're fireproof, you know, waterproof, um, uh, uh, you know, termite proof, et cetera. So uh, in many ways, it's a very good starting point uh, for construction, uh, particularly in, in this region. The main issue uh, that people, you know, kind of look at and, uh, uh, when I see the container, and particularly in this area, is uh, the, the, the question of heat and, uh, and, and we're dealing with that uh, in the design, the heat gain on the, on, the, on the home. Okay, now, can you spell out a little bit what uh, these modifications look like? I, I know it's a little bit visual, but, and you've kind of touched on this briefly, but can you spell it out in more detail? Uh, how specifically you're proposing to modify the shipping containers? Mm -hmm. the, the, the first step in modifi modifying them is actually cutting them open and getting beyond the what's basically an eight-foot wide module, which is for housing, you know, a bit limiting and narrow. So our design makes two major cuts into the, uh, to opposite sides of the container. One, one, one cut is almost the full height of the container, and it's about 15 feet wide, and that... And that um, and with all the cuts, we reuse all of the material of the container. Uh, it's quite valuable uh, material. Uh, and so our ethos, again, is to kind of recycle that back into the project. So the main, the one big cut folds down and becomes an outdoor uh, gathering area. And then on the other side, the cut is made at the mid-height of the container. And there's a kind of, there's a flap that's produced uh, for a floor and a flap that's produced for a piece of ceiling. So it's a kind of folding effect, right, where you cut and fold. Um, and so then those are braced and then those can be infilled with other kinds of materials that are uh, within the means of the owner, um, uh, you know, over time. Um, and so so those, those immediately kind of ventilate and open up the container. There's a third kind of cutting that goes into on the opposing walls of each of those big openings are what we call gills, which are uh, flaps that basically are cut vertically and then the and they're just pulled open. I mean, if you can imagine, just like gills on a fish, and they allow for secure openings that are uh, breathable. Um, and we also are designing home. Uh, the home can kind of evolve over time, and and those openings can become more or less permanent. But there's also the ability for the owner, in the case of a hurricane uh, or an earthquake, actually, uh, to um, you know, close up the home and secure all their belongings inside um, uh, if, if they need to go to an emergency shelter and that kind of thing. So 
um, it's beneficial in that way. So those are the major modifications to the actual container. And then the other elements of the design are a um, what we call an energy pod, a uh, water pod, uh, the canopy, which is a, a uh, and this uh, and the emergency garden, which is these are all different areas of research and they're at different levels of development. But the canopy is meant to shade the container and take the heat, you know, the direct heat off of the container. And it's a rapidly deployable um, uh, metal uh, roof system. Then there's a, 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 a water pod, which is uh, uses that roof to catch uh, water and filter it and make it suitable for drinking. Um, there's also a, a self-composting toilet uh, that we're working on the design of. And the energy pod uses a very small... Um, it has a very small cooking uh, um, uh, hot plate that's connected to a solar, uh, a small solar panel. So uh, those are the main elements, and those are those are prefabricated and they get fitted out in the containers um, uh, on site. Frank, Frank, just to go back to to the to your main question about that about the cutting of the container. Um, the, the idea is to just um, do a couple of simple cuts that have the maximum amount of effect and um, and turn what is a um, something that contains things, that transports pours things, basically a box into a home. And, you know, to use the seed analog, uh, which, you know, is the title of the project and, and uh, also in maybe in relationship to agriculture uh, here, since we're having this conversation, it's basically as if the container is this dormant seed, and then you open it up, and then it, it gets rooted, um, and 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 the and the inhabitants it gets inhabited, it becomes a home. It allows um, air circulation to pass through light. It expands the square footage, and then people can start to rebuild their community and take root and and um, um, and, and 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 heal and so on and and go from there. As opposed to being displaced, being taken to a shelter somewhere else, you know the idea of coming back, coming back home and and um, uh, taking root. I would also just want to emphasize that the the one of the really important ideas of the project uh, is that the home is a starting point, uh, and so it meets a, both a short term housing needs because it uh, can be rapidly deployed. And uh, but we another thing that makes it unique is that it's not a, a temporary housing that then gets uh, discarded or something like that, but it, it grows into a home over time. And so, again, the the, the cuts and the openings and the ad, uh, and the modifications to the container. The most important thing for us is that people then uh, it makes the container easier for them to add on, you know, make additions to expand the home again over time. Uh, within their needs, and so the home really has the potential to grow into the user's needs and the the specific location uh, that it, that that it's at. Okay. Well, I I also want to ask you about the economics of modifying these shipping containers. Mm -hmm. Do you have any sense of what the cost is to do these modifications, and uh, potentially to move the container to its destination, or perhaps the containers moved to its destination and then modified, but obviously there's a cost associated with all of those things. Uh, have yes. you done any calculations on that yet? Not, we're familiar with that in the U.S., but the, uh, to go back to what Martha said earlier is the, the other, you, you know, the ubiquity of the container 
worldwide also means that they're the, the equipment to move them uh, is virtually in every single country to varying degrees of sophistication. So in the case of Haiti, we, we, we're trying to understand that specifically now. And we and we're kind of planning for the least, you, basically the kind of uh, delivery where they slide off the back of a of a of a truck, and, and that's pretty common, and that's the sort of the lowest common denominator. So we're we're familiar with that, um, but there's so many different scenarios. You know, if you're in an emergency scenario, basically that cost is, uh, you know, part of the emergency response, um, and so really doesn't carry on to the owner. Um, but anyway. We're in the case of in the case of Haiti, our target is to be below five thousand uh, dollars for uh, each dwelling, and we think we can do it lower than that. But we're we're not at that point to really kind of discuss the exact uh, numbers. It depends on a lot of things. We're trying to develop procurement strategies where we get donations of containers and things like that. So it's highly kind of it's a little volatile right now. The exact number. And just uh, to go back to that powers of ten idea. Um, we're using that as a, also kind of strategy for uh, how we uh, do everything. Um, so right now we actually are starting a campaign for recruiting, uh, recruiting, uh, um, collecting containers where we encourage shipping companies to donate a small percentage of their surplus, which uh, we're encouraging to donate 100 containers, which it might be around uh, what percentage? I guess it depends on their surplus, but it's a small percentage of their surplus. Uh, if we get 100%, uh, 100 containers from uh, 100, is that correct? From 100 companies. 10 companies. Uh, from 10 companies. And each container ha houses a family of, of 10 people. Uh, that's um, 1,000 homes, 10,000 people uh, that, uh, that we're able to house. And then, of course, at one point we said, uh, uh, we should shoot for uh, being able to to do uh, the cost of a of a home for a thousand dollars, but of course uh, we don't want to commit to that right now. We we have some work to do uh, on that. Um, so right now we uh, we're working on that number. Okay, now you've talked a little bit about the container as a seed. Uh, what do you envision will be this? house's place or this container's place in the community once it is actually installed in the destination? Mm. Well, actually, it's, it's funny because right now um, uh, my students are working through some of those scenarios. And one discussion we had just uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago is that uh, to think about uh, the placement of the containers in a lot of different ways. Um, and one of them being um, thinking about how they get delivered, right? And how they're planted, how how the equipment would move through and and set them. And then also how things would have to move through it as a kind of maybe even uh, in, in the analogy of a farming idea. So that that's one thing. But of course, we're thinking about the the, the flow of um, of uh, air, you know, the, the wind, um, the way that the wind mostly moves, the way that the sun uh, moves throughout the site. Uh, what other things have we talked about, Doug, as well? Uh, we're looking, they've been studying densities. Uh, for Haiti, they've been studying the various densities uh, that exist there of how people have been living in those neighborhoods and looking at um, what that means and, um, and uh, 
flows of circulation, uh, sort of the existing uh, tendencies that are there um, to also be influenced by those um, in, in, in some of the decisions that we make. And, and, and as I said before, uh, you know, the, the, the container is really seen as a kind of starting point. Uh, we know it's not always like the first thing people think of in terms of a housing solution, but, but with very small modifications, they're easily absorbed and adapted into, the, into a culture. So there's, there, we're very much interested in those, um, you know, personalization of the container and the ownership question of the container. And uh, the, the University of California Berkeley students are looking, they're doing the in-depth work in terms of looking at user needs and they're reporting back to us, I think later uh, in the spring. So we can, uh, in the case of Haiti, uh, they're looking at Haiti very um, uh, in detail. So we'll get a better sense of uh, further adjustments to the design uh, to really make sure that we're meeting the needs of um, uh, you know, uh, in in this case of uh, Haitians. One thing we've been uh, looking at now too is the edible garden idea and uh, what the Clemson uh, students calculated was that, uh, and we're not completely sure if this is exact, exact, but that a family of 10 would need an acre of land in order to to have a um, complete garden to, to feed the entire family. Uh, of course, the block size is just a little bit bigger than that, and so then there's a process of um, dividing, uh, losing, giving, giving away some of that garden uh, to uh, compromise between the amount of space that there is and the amount of families, and then ending up with a percentage of a garden and then distributing that between different homes. And then that, of course, being also part of the uh, distribution of how these uh, homes get organized. But I have to say, one of my my uh, big concerns um, with this, and uh, um, sometimes I even, uh, um, uh, well, stress about it uh, a bit, is that, uh, you know, a project like this could be um, executed in different ways. And I, uh, you know, um, it could be very abstract and removed from the realities of the place. And for us, the main concern is that it is, uh, it fits into the community, it addresses the need of, and, and, and the, the needs and the, uh, the history of, of, of that particular community. So that's something that we're really working towards, um, being sensitive to, to that. Well, the first thing that occurs to me when I hear you talk about that is the issue of human capacity, which seems like a very important point. If we are sending over technologies in health or agriculture that require expertise, what can we do to ensure that these technologies will be used effectively? You know, ultimately, you, I mean, in, in the case of architecture, in the technology, I mean, again, just keep to continue to reiterate this point, we're we're working at it from that kind of question of adaptation, right? And so, uh, you know, what we can provide in terms of our design is a safe and secure home, right? Um, and so, um, you know, and, and at that point, in that emergency situation, it's critical that the homeowners take ownership of the project. Um, one question that is unresolved, I think, moving forward, 
is in the case of Haiti are the land ownership uh, where we don't have a specialist in this yet and and we're looking for assistance in this but uh, just a question of um, real estates and you know building equity and and and, and growing wealth really through the project and and we hope that maybe uh, you know, somehow the project increases, you know, ownership uh, and and wealth through a kind of system of real estate for the individual homeowners, and they take ownership in that way. But that's a complex problem that we, to be quite honest, we uh, don't fully understand, and 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 we need help with and uh, expertise in that um, for the legal team out there in your audience. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I want to add that, I mean, we're exploiting some technologies uh, right now, also in terms of uh, thinking about the urbanism of this kind of thing. Um, uh, we're using parametric design in order to right now uh, not, you know, not look at the site specifically because the site could be anywhere for a project like this. But for, for right now to study the site of, of, um, of Haiti, uh, we're looking at uh, Port-au-Prince in general, that entire area, and using uh, parametric um, um, technologies in order to uh, go through a series of scenarios where we set up cer certain rules um, and variables, and then you explore multiple uh, iterations of, of uh, how things get uh, organized and reorganized. And we're also using time-lapse uh, photography to also look at uh, these things in time, uh, look at these uh, things that we're exploring in time, the effect of, of it in time. But uh, in terms of what happens, for instance, in Haiti, I think the idea is that it, it, there is a kind of vernacular to what we do and that there, that there would be a kind of intuition to how uh, things would um, occur there and that... Um, People would that you know it would be a natural system that people would be able to plug into and uh, respond to and just uh, participating and 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 develop and I think that um, understanding that system comes from uh, we're trying to be involved with in in as many groups as we can with people who are there in Haiti um, and are um, giving us information. I mean, right now in particular with Haiti, but uh, uh, the case would be with any community, uh, so that we are understanding uh, that. Um, and uh, uh, but, um, but also that's one of the ideas, is to actually uh, set the thing into place so that it, um, and, and you know, maybe there is um, some, some training and so on, but that really uh, people take, take a hold of that as part of their um, their system. And it's, and it's a complex problem. I just add one more point to that is that uh, one key element of our design is that um, uh, that it's a job producing, you know, in, in Haiti, not in the U.S., that these are not being manufactured in the U.S. and sent, you know, sent to Haiti, but that the, 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 the raw material, if you will, the containers are already there and they'll be coming in into Haiti by the thousands in the years to come uh, with more uh, relief supplies, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and reconstruction materials for other projects and so on and so forth. So what we're beginning, we've been contacted by technical colleges and so on uh, and, and groups like this that want to set up training programs for the modification is fairly simple. Um, and the training, you know, uh, the, we can imagine, uh, you know, setting up training programs 
uh, in terms of special specializing in the um, in the container modification that's part of the project. Now, what can people who want to collaborate with the seed project uh, do to get in touch and um, start participating? Um, well, I, I let's see. Uh, I'm looking at they they can find us at ten to ten dot org. And that's basically the number 10 and then two, uh, not the number two, but to10.org. Uh, and there they will see our contact information, which would be easy to then. Um, and there's also uh, also a Facebook um, group uh, with the same, you know, uh, with the same name. And, and so those are the probably the best two places to to look for us and then go from there um, and send or uh, and, and send us an email based on the contact info at those sites. Or they could email us at Martha with an H S for Skinner at Clemson.edu or D Hecker at uh, Clemson.edu as well. Okay. And of course, directly. I will link mm -hmm. to uh, the web page for the seed project. Um, 10to10.org. There's also a web page, I believe, on the Clemson University website and the Facebook page I will link to as well on the show notes for this podcast. Is there anything you guys wanted to add uh, before we before we conclude? Um, well, just um, I just thank you so much, uh, Fran, for contacting us. We look forward to uh, continuing this conversation. We're very uh, excited about this. We also feel like it's an amazing responsibility that we have. Uh, and we just look forward to hearing for, from people who connect with the, with the idea and with the sensibility that uh, we're moving forward with. And I would just add that, uh, you know, that, I mean, the ethos, again, of the project is bringing in, you know, as many specialists that are going to you know, benefit the project. We're we're trying to move rapidly but responsibly, and so uh, uh, you know there's a really obviously in Haiti uh, pressing need to get uh, more housing. Uh, you know there's a lot of good ideas out there, and this is one of them. Uh, and to get that in place as soon as possible uh, to mitigate, you know, to minimize the suffering there. Um, and uh, with the, with the container housing projects like Seed, um, these are things that could happen later this summer and be in place. Um, you know, we all want to get something in place uh, before uh, a hurricane comes, uh, tracks through Haiti. So, uh, the, you know, and, and to do the maximum we can do uh, to prevent that kind of um, catastrophe, really. And so there are a lot of people in our group working uh, day in and day out uh, to, to help in that way. Well, Doug Hecker, Martha Skinner of the Seed Container Housing Project, I would like to thank you for the work that you're doing, and I'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Agro Innovations Podcast. Thanks so much, Thanks, Frank. Frank. That concludes my interview with Douglas Hecker and Martha Skinner of the Seed Container Project at Clemson University. As always, I will link through on the show notes for this episode of the podcast, which you can find on agroinnovations.com slash podcast so that you can click through and see some of the work that they are doing. And they have some photos and some videos on that website so that you can get a better visual sense of some of the things Martha and Doug are talking about. 
I would very much like to hear from the listeners of the podcast. I always like it when uh, people participate on the comment thread for any given episode of the podcast. And uh, participation has not been as vibrant as it has been in the past. So I would encourage you, if you are listening to this, to get online, go to agroinnovations.com slash podcast, and share some of your thoughts and comments with me and the other listeners to the podcast. Well, this past week I was in California uh, on a ranch just about an hour southeast of San Jose, and it was quite a great experience. I was doing some field work out there. Uh, it's a good time to be out in that part of the country. Uh, it is a an ecosystem mostly dominated by annual grasses, which, as I understand it, is fairly rare for rangelands in that mostly they are dominated by perennial grasses. But this was an interesting place to be, and it was an interesting time of the year to be there because most of the grasses were flowering, and it was quite green. So I did learn a lot, and I got to see a lot of different plants that I had not been exposed to before, so I definitely appreciated that opportunity. And I will probably be posting some photos about that trip onto the website here fairly soon, and I will keep you posted on that. Next week, I will be publishing an interview with the fig man, Lloyd Kreitzer, who is a, a fig hobbyist, and he has a lot to say about figs. So if you're interested in the topic of figs, then please be sure to tune in for next week's episode. This is a reminder that this and all episodes of the Agro-Innovations podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. You can learn more about that by visiting creativecommons.org. Agro-Innovations is on Twitter, twitter.com slash agro-innovations, and also on Facebook and iTunes. There are links to that on the website for the Agro-Innovations podcast. Until next week, I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This is the Agro-Innovations podcast. Saludos. Saludos.